Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this inspiring TED Talks HCI podcast episode, I explore David Logan's famous 2009 TED Talk, Tribal Leadership. Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's great to be with you again today for this inspiring TED Talks HCI podcast episode where I explored David Logan's famous 2009 TED Talk, Tribal Leadership. It's easy to think as a species we have evolved far beyond the days of tribalism, but management consultant David Logan argues that effective leaders understand the five kinds of tribes that still crop up naturally in nearly any setting. Logan's talk takes you through the five tribes or stages, beginning with life sucks in stage one and ending with life is great in stage five. Thanks for joining me and I'll catch you on the flip side of this first clip. What we're really here to talk about is the how. Okay, so how exactly do we create this world-shattering, if you will, innovation? Now, I want to tell you a quick story. We'll go back a little more than a year. In fact, the date, I'm curious to know if any of you know what, the, what happened on this momentous date. It was February 3rd, 2008. Anyone remember what happened February 3rd, 2008? Super Bowl. I heard it over here. It was the date of the Super Bowl. And the reason that this date was so momentous is that what my colleagues John King and Haley Fisher-Wright and I noticed as we began to debrief various Super Bowl parties is that it seemed to us that across the United States, if you will, tribal councils had convened and they had discussed things of great national importance like do we like the Budweiser commercial and do we like the nachos and who's going to win. But they also talked about which candidate they were going to support. And if you go back in time to February 3rd, it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to get the Democratic nomination, and there were even some polls that were saying she was going to go all the way. But when we talked to people, it appeared that a funnel effect had happened in these tribes all across the United States. Now, what's a tribe? Tribe is a group of about 20, so kind of more than a team, 20 to about 150 people. And it's within these tribes that all of our work gets done. But not just work, it's within these tribes that societies get built, that important things happen. And so as we surveyed the, if you will, representatives from various tribal councils that met, also known as Super Bowl parties, we sent the following email off to 40 newspaper editors the following day, February 4th. We posted it on our website. This was before Super Tuesday. We said the tribes that we're in are saying it's going to be Obama. Now, 
The reason we knew that was because we spent the previous 10 years studying tribes, studying these naturally occurring groups. All of you are members of tribes. In walking around at the break, many of you had met members of your tribe, and you were talking to them. And many of you were doing what great, if you will, tribal leaders do, which is to find someone who's a member of a tribe and to find someone else who's another member of a different tribe and make introductions. That's, in fact, what great tribal leaders do. So here's the bottom line. If you focus in on a group like this, this happens to be a USC game, and you were to zoom in with one of those super satellite cameras and do magnification factors so that you could see individual people, you would in fact see not a single crowd, just like there's not a single crowd here, but you would see these tribes that are then coming together, and from a distance, it appears that it's a single group. And so people form tribes. They always have, they always will. Just as fish swim and birds fly, people form tribes. It's just what we do. But here's the rub. Not all tribes are the same. And what makes the difference is the culture. So in this first clip, he introduces this idea of tribes. Now, it's probably not new to anybody that we evolved uh, as tribal beings uh, from an evolutionary psychology standpoint and an evolutionary biology standpoint. Tribes and this human connection has been very important uh, in our progress as a human species. And this hasn't just gone away just because of technological advancements. We still have a drive towards connection, community, and tribes. And sometimes we talk, talk about tribalism, uh, brand tribalism. We talk about politics tribalism. The reality is those are just a couple examples of the vast uh, array of types of tribes that we might find ourselves in. And so he's starting to explore and lay out this idea that simply we all find ourselves in tribes. And he talks about the 2008 Super Bowl. Um, I happened to know exactly what was going on that day when he mentioned the date because uh, February 3rd happens to be my birthday. And I remember specifically 2008 because it, the Super Bowl fell on my birthday and because uh, we had a huge snowstorm where I lived. And so we got snowed in and my uh, church got canceled and we ended up shoveling snow for all the neighbors and it was kind of a fun way to spend uh, the morning and then uh, then we got to watch the Super Bowl in the evening and it was just kind of a fun, unique birthday. Anyways, that's not really uh, pertinent to this uh, TED Talk, but uh, I, I knew exactly what he was talking about when he got to that um, that point and talking about that date. And it is so interesting to think about uh the, the people that attend football games as different, uh, forming different tribes, but also the people watching the football games. And I know so many people that don't care about football at all, but they still watch the Super Bowl, uh, specifically so they can uh, critique the, the commercials. Uh, that's another example of tribes forming or families that get together uh, that normally, they, you know, they don't really care that much about football, but they get together for the Super Bowl. Uh, my family is one of those that we often do get together. Um, so it's just really interesting to think about the many ways in our lives that tribes do form. And if we're going to be effective leaders in the workplace, as he's going to explore here further on in his TED Talk, we need to become more comfortable with the different types of tribes that exist, the different stages of tribes that exist that he's going to lay out here in a moment. And ultimately, we need to be able to speak to all levels all different stages, people who find themselves uh, 
in different types of tribes, we need to meet them where we're at and where they're at rather. And we need to make sure that we can bring them along towards whatever we're trying to achieve. He started that clip with the question, how, how do we achieve this type of innovation? And as we go throughout the rest of this episode, what you'll see is it's essential that we think in terms of the different tribes that we're in, that we find a way to reach out and expand the reach of our tribes and the connections between tribes so that we can drive better innovations for our organizations. Now here's the net out of this. You're all a member of tribes. If you can find a way to take the tribes that you're in and nudge them forward along these tribal stages to what we call stage five, which is the top of the mountain. But we're going to start with what we call stage one. Now, this is the lowest of the stages. You don't want this, okay? This is a bit of a difficult image to put up on the screen, but it's one that I think we need to learn from. Stage one produces people who do horrible things. This is the kid who shot up Virginia Tech. Stage one is a group where people systematically sever relationships from functional tribes and then pool together with people who think like they do. Stage one is literally the culture of gangs and it is the culture of prisons. Now again, we don't often deal with stage one and I wanna make the point that as members of society, we need to. It's not enough to simply write people off. But let's move on to stage two. Now, stage one, you'll notice, says, in effect, life sucks. So uh, my, in this other book that Z mentioned uh, that just came out called The Three Laws of Performance, my colleague uh, Steve Zafron and I argue that as people see the world, so they behave. Well, if people see the world in such a way that life sucks, then their behavior will follow automatically from that. It'll be despairing hostility. They'll do whatever it takes to survive, even if that means undermining other people. Now, my birthday is coming up shortly, and my driver's license expires. And the reason that that's relevant is very soon, I will be walking into what we call a stage two tribe, which looks like this. <laughs> now, am I saying that in every department of motor vehicles across the land, you find a stage two culture? No. But in the one near me, where I have to go in just a few days, what I will say when I'm standing in line is, how can people be so dumb and yet live? Okay. <laughs> Now, am I saying that there are dumb people working here? Actually, no, I'm not. But I'm saying the culture makes people dumb, okay? So in a stage two culture, and we find these in all sorts of different places. You find them, in fact, in the best organizations in the world. You find them in all places in society. I've come across them at, you know, the organizations that everybody raves about as being best in class. But here's the point. If you believe and you say to people in your tribe, in effect, my life sucks, I mean, if I got to go to TEDx USC, my life wouldn't suck, but I don't, so it does. If that's how you talked, imagine what kind of work would get done, what kind of innovation would get done, the amount of world-changing behavior that would happen. In fact, it would be basically nil. So in this clip, he lays out the first two types of tribes, or the first two stages. At the lowest stage, uh, stage one, this is the my life sucks stage. Uh, people get together with like-minded, miserable individuals, and ultimately they they just commiserate. And, and he, he argues that this is the type of culture that you see in gangs, in prisons. Um, not being an expert in this research around tribes, I can't really speak to that characterization. Uh, but the point is that, you know, there are disenfranchised, marginalized populations uh, throughout various societies around the world 
and their lives do suck. They, they are disadvantaged. They don't have many opportunities, not uh, like many uh, from more privileged um, stations in life. And so uh, regardless of what the reason for that is, they're in that situation. They band together. And if they can't get out of that, then they're going to live a perpetual life of just merely trying to survive. And when you're trying to survive, uh, really kind of anything goes. Uh, and you can end up treating other people around you in really horrible ways and not really care too much about it because you're just trying to survive. And life stinks and that's just the way it is. In stage two, you start to get beyond that a little bit. You start to interact with perhaps people from other tribes, people who don't think strictly in terms of their life sucks, but you now frame your your um, existence in terms of my life sucks because I'm not like this other group. Uh, I'm now associating with these other people. I see what they get to enjoy. If I got to enjoy that too, my life would be great. I don't. My life sucks. Um, both stages are not great stages to be in. And so he's going to continue along the path of, of talking about the, the next three stages here in the coming clips. Now, when we go on to stage three, this is the one that hits closest to home for many of us, because it's in stage three that many of us move and we park and we stay. Stage three says, I'm great. And you're not. I'm great. And you're not. Now imagine having a whole room of people saying, in effect, I'm great and you're not, or I'm going to find some way to compete with you and come out on top as a result of that. A whole group of people communicating that way, talking that way. I know this sounds like a joke, three doctors walk in a bar, but in this case, three doctors walk in an elevator, happen to be in the elevator collecting data for this book, and one doctor said to the others, did you see my article in the New England Journal of Medicine? And the other said, no, that's great, congratulations. Next one got kind of a wry smile on his face and said, well, well, you were, you know, doing your research. Notice the condescending tone. Well, you were off doing your research. I was off doing more surgeries than anyone else in the Department of Surgery at this institution. And the third one got the same wry smile and said, well, well, you were off doing your research and you were off, you know, doing your monkey meatball surgery that eventually will train, you know, monkeys to do or, or cells or robots or maybe even not, not even need to do it all. I was off running the future of the residency program, which is really the future of medicine. And they all kind of laughed and they patted him on the back and the elevator door opened and they all walked out. That is a meeting of a stage three tribe. Now, we find these in places where really smart, successful people show up. Like, oh, I don't know, TEDx at USE. <laughs> Here's the greatest challenge we face in innovation. It is moving from stage three to stage four. Let's take a look at a quick video snippet. This is from a company called Zappos, located outside Las Vegas. And my question on the other side is just going to be, what do you think they value? Zappos it was not Christmas time. There was There's a Christmas tree. a dance, dance revolution. This is their lobby. Terminal right in the lobby. Employees volunteer time in the advice booth. Notice it looks like something out of a Peanuts cartoon. Okay, we're going through the hallway here at Zappos. This is a call center. Notice how it's decorated. Notice people are applauding for us. They don't know who we are and they don't care. And if they did, they probably wouldn't applaud. But you'll notice the level of excitement. Notice, again, how they decorate their office. Now, what's important to people at Zappos these may not be the things that are important to you, but they value things like fun and they value creativity. One of their stated values is be a little bit weird. And you'll notice they are a little bit weird, okay? 
So when individuals come together and find something that unites them that's greater than their individual competence, then something very important happens. The group gels and it, ch- and it changes from a group of highly motivated but fairly individually centric people into something larger, into a tribe that becomes aware of its own existence. Stage four tribes can do remarkable things, but you'll notice we're not at the top of the mountain yet. There is, in fact, another stage. Next is stage three. When we're in a stage three tribe, it's really kind of a, our tribe is awesome, your tribe sucks kind of a mentality. It's more of an us versus them Um, my experience, my life is better, I'm right, you're wrong, uh, that kind of a frame of thinking. And he, he argues that most people get stuck in this stage, that they'd never progress beyond it. And it was at the point in his talk when he was talking about stage three that I started to think along the lines of the stages of cognitive development or the stages of moral or ethical development. And there's many, uh, researchers and theorists that talk along those lines, and it seemed to, to map out pretty similarly uh, with how some of these other researchers talk in terms of cognitive or moral ethical development. Uh, and the reality is when we're in a black and white way of thinking, when we're in a stage three uh, where it's us versus them, we're better than you are kind of a mentality, then, yeah, you get stuck. It's, it's inherent in that form of tribe that you simply aren't looking for all the great ideas around you because you're already convinced that you are in the best situation. Your tribe is the best. You're not going to be looking and valuing diversity. You're not going to be trying to create an inclusive environment where everyone is genuinely welcomed and wanted and having the opportunity to contribute because unless they conform to your tribe and unless they conform to your values, then clearly something's wrong with them and you wouldn't want them there anyways. That's the mentality. That's that's what stage three looks like. And ultimately, it's incredibly problematic. I think, I think most people listening to this would say, well, yeah, of course, nobody wants to be stage three. You don't want to be stuck in a stage three. Yet that's where the vast majority of people end up getting stuck. So then he starts to move into, well, how do we get to stage four? What does that look like? And he gives the example of Zappos. Uh, and many of you listening probably already know all about Zappos. It's a um, a classic example of a great innovative organization with a great culture, best place to work, great uh, uh, employee retention. Uh, People go to work there and they never leave because it's such a wonderful place to be. And they make it a core value to have fun, to be a little weird. uh, And ultimately that drives them. So they've moved beyond thinking we're just better than everyone else. Now they're, they're recognizing the value of each uh, person within the team, the uniqueness of each person in the team. It's more of an inclusive environment. It's more of a welcoming environment. And uh, you start to have some more creativity and innovation. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital. Exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. 
To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Now, some of you may not recognize the scene that's up here, and if you take a look at the headline of stage five, which is Life is Great, this may seem a little incongruous. This is a scene or a snippet from the truth and reconciliation process in South Africa, for which Desmond Tutu won the Nobel Prize. Now, think about that. South Africa, terrible atrocities had happened in the society, and people came together focused only on those two values, truth and reconciliation. There was no roadmap. No one had ever done anything like this before. And in this atmosphere where the only guidance was people's values and their noble cause, what this group accomplished was historic. And people at the time feared that South Africa would end up going the way that Rwanda has gone, descending into one skirmish after another and a civil war that seems to have no end. In fact, South Africa has not gone down that road, largely because people like Desmond Tutu set up a stage five process to involve the thousands and perhaps millions of tribes in the country to bring everyone together. So people hear this and they conclude the following, as did we in doing the study. Okay, got it. I don't want to talk stage one. That's like, you know, life sucks. Who wants to talk that way? I don't want to talk like they do with the particular DMV that's close to where Dave lives. I really don't want to just say I'm great because that kind of sounds narcissistic and then I won't have any friends. You know, saying we're great, that sounds pretty good, but I should really talk stage five, right? Life is great. Well, in fact, there are three somewhat counterintuitive findings that come out of all this. The first one, if you look at the Declaration of Independence and actually read it, The phrase that sticks in many of our minds is things about inalienable rights. I mean, that's stage five, right? Life is great, oriented only by our values, no other guidance. In fact, most of the document is written at stage two. My life sucks because I live under a tyrant, also known as King George. We're great. Who's not great? England. Sorry. Well, what about other great leaders? What about Gandhi? What about Martin Luther King? I mean, surely these were people who just preached life is great, right? Just one little bit of happiness and joy after another. In fact, Martin Luther King's most famous line was at stage three. He didn't say, we have a dream. He said, I have a dream. Why did he do that? Because most people are not at stage five. Two percent are at stage one. About 25 percent are at stage two, saying, in effect, in effect, my life sucks. 48% of working tribes say, these are employed tribes, say, I'm great, and you're not, and we have to duke it out every day, so we resort to politics. Only about 22% of tribes are at stage four, oriented by our values, saying we're great, and our values are beginning to unite us. Only 2%, only 2% of tribes get to stage five, and those are the ones that change the world. So the first little finding from this is that leaders need to be able to talk all the levels so that you can touch every person in society. 
but you don't leave them where you found them, okay? Tribes can only hear one level above and below where they are. So we have to have the ability to talk all the levels to go to where they are. And then leaders nudge people within their tribes to the next level. So in stage five, we get away from my group is great. Uh, We've progressed from stage three, I am great. Everything's great about us and my group. Stage four, um, uh, the group is great and we have individuals with differences. We value them. Now stage five, life is great. Uh, And and you have more overarching values um, that really drive the discussion. And, And the idea in stage five is you don't really worry about groups uh, you don't really worry about how people interact. Uh, you just look for the positive. Um, you kind of transcend the garbage. Uh, that's that's how I understand this idea of stage five. And again, in, in terms of cognitive and moral development, a stage five maps fairly well with what he's describing in terms of a stage five tribe. And it's kind of a transcendent kind of a stage. Uh, and ultimately, um, you know, is that what we're trying to to reach for? He gives the example of Desmond Tutu in South Africa, uh, and that is a great example, uh, trying to get outside of this tribalism, trying to help people connect, trying to help people have conversations where they can uh, truly reach for something greater and improve the experience of everyone. So everyone can authentically have an experience where life is great. They live a life of dignity and respect. But then he makes a very, very important point that if you get to a stage five and you think, yeah, life is great, and I don't want to have to talk about stage one, two, three, four, Uh, I'm just going to live this transcendent life, Uh, that doesn't actually drive any change or improvement in the human condition. And so leaders need to learn how to speak the language of all the different stages. And in fact, it's only leaders who get up to stage five who even can speak all the different languages because they've experienced them. Someone who's stuck at stage three, it's impossible for them to understand and talk the language of a stage four or stage five in any authentic way. Um, and so as a leader, hopefully we, you know, we get to that kind of a transcendent stage. We need to be able to meet people where they're at. And if someone is in a stage one or a stage two or stage three, we need to go there and meet with them. Uh, and we need to talk in terms that they understand and we can nudge them along slowly but surely and help them. Uh, along the path of opening their mind, opening their connection with people so that they can get to that stage four or even that stage five and find greater opportunity for meaning and purpose and and drive better innovations for our organizations. I'd like to show you some examples of this. One of the people we interviewed was Frank Jordan, uh, former mayor of San Francisco. Before that, he was chief of police in San Francisco. And he grew up essentially in stage one. And you know what changed his life? It was walking into one of these, a boys and girls club. Now, here's what happened to this person who eventually became mayor of San Francisco. He went from being alive and passionate at stage one. Remember, life sucks, despairing hostility. I will do whatever it takes to survive to walking into a boys and girls club, folding his arms, sitting down in a chair and saying, wow, my life really sucks. I don't know anybody. I mean, if I was into boxing like they were, then my life wouldn't suck, but I don't, so it does. So I'm going to sit here in my chair and not do anything. In fact, that's progress. We move people from stage one to stage two by getting them in a new tribe and then over time getting them connected. So what about moving from stage three to stage four? I want to argue that we are doing that right here. TED represents a set of values, 
And as we unite around these values, something really interesting begins to emerge. If you want this experience to live on as something historic, then at the reception tonight, I'd like to encourage you to do something beyond what people normally do and call networking which is not just to meet new people and extend your reach and extend your influence, but instead find someone you don't know and find someone else you don't know and introduce them. That's called a triadic relationship. See, people who build world-changing tribes do that. They extend the reach of their tribes by connecting them, not just to myself so that my following is greater, but I connect people who don't know each other to something greater than themselves. And ultimately, that's to their values. These are some good examples that he provides. So after laying out these stages, uh, being able to think in terms of these examples and the different stages people are at and how we can meet them where they're at and help nudge them along and help them to grow and develop. And I like the, the story of the, the young man uh, from stage one who's in a really tough situation. He walks into that boys and girls club and he starts to uh, move to stage two and he's still kind of surly and grumpy and, and just sitting there and pouting and like, I, my life would be better if I could do this, if I could be like these other people. Um, and many of us would look at that and we would say, oh my gosh, what, what is your problem? You know, like get it together. You make the most of your life, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, whatever cliche that we want to, to say. And we say, why can't you just, you know, appreciate what opportunities you have and make the most of it? Uh, what we need to recognize is, and again, meeting this person where they're at, is that's an improvement from where they were at. And now they're experiencing uh, others and they're seeing other possibilities and that puts them in a position where they can then move maybe from stage two to stage three and actually join some of these other groups and actually start to better their lives um, through involvement in other uh, proactive endeavors in their life. And so is it bad to be stage three? No, not at all. In fact, being, you know, being a stage three is going to be a lot better than being a stage one or two. Um, do we want to be stuck at a stage three forever? No. And so, again, as a leader, we need to speak the language uh, of people at different uh, different levels, meet them where they're at, and then we can help them along. And ultimately, as we establish our teams within our organization, we establish our culture, we can really think carefully about these elements and the not only the types of people we like to attract to the organization, getting the right people on the bus and the right seats with good fit so that you know, we have a cohesive team, but recognizing even then we're going to have people at different stages. And the fact that you know, people aren't a monolith and their lives aren't a monolith. And so, you know, just because one aspect of my life might be at a three, another aspect of my life and the way my thinking works might be at a two uh, and so forth. So we different pieces of ourselves might resonate with these different types of stages. And we all belong to many different tribes. And so we might be part of a tribe that's a, a stage one tribe. We might be as part of another tribe that's a stage two or stage three. And so as a leader, this makes it all the more uh, the, all the more reason why we need to uh, embrace the complexity and be able to speak to the different levels and meet our people where they're at, help them to achieve their potential uh, by by helping them progress along these types of stages. And I would argue not just the stages of tribal development, but the stages of moral and cognitive development as well. But we're not done yet, because then how do we go from stage four, which is great, to stage five? 
The story that I'd like to end with is this. It comes out of a place called the Gallup Organization. You know, they do polls, right? So it's stage four, we're great, who's not great? Pretty much everybody else who does polls. Okay, if Gallup releases a poll on the same day that NBC releases a poll, people pay attention to the Gallup poll. Okay, we understand that. So they were bored. They wanted to change the world. So here was the question someone asked. How could we, instead of just polling, you know, what Asia thinks or what the United States thinks or who thinks what about Obama versus McCain or something like that, what does the entire world think? And they found a way to do the first ever world poll. They had people involved who were Nobel laureates in economics who reported being bored. And suddenly they pulled out sheets of paper and were trying to figure out how do we survey the population of sub-Saharan Africa? How do we survey populations that don't have access to technology and speak languages we don't speak and we don't know anyone who speaks those languages? Because in order to achieve on this great mission, we have to be able to do it. Incidentally, they did pull it off and they released the first ever world poll. So I'd like to leave you with these thoughts. First of all, we all form tribes, all of us. You're in tribes here. Hopefully you're extending the reach of the tribes that you have. But the question on the table is this. What kind of an impact are the tribes that you are in making? You're hearing one presentation after another, often representing a group of people, a tribe, about how they have changed the world. If you do what we've talked about, you listen for how people actually communicate in the tribes that you're in, and you don't leave them where they are, you nudge them forward. You remember to talk all five culture stages because we got people in all five around us. Then the question I'd like to leave you with is this, will your tribes change the world? Thank you very much. Ultimately, the goal is to progress uh, to a stage five as individuals, as tribes, uh, that we can all, you know, more or less, to use the, the term transcend, that we can get to that, that top of the mountain place where we aren't so worried about all the, the, the petty little things and the differences, and we're not wasting time and energy on us versus them thinking and trying to prove that we're better than other people. Uh, none of that matters anymore once you get to stage five and you're simply embracing the good that is out there uh, and the framing of the world that that life is great and that we can make it even gr better. Uh, that that's, that's where the real change happens. That's where the greatness um, in society and the great leaders happen. But even as we think about those who are the most transformational leaders throughout the history of the world, they learned how to, and necessarily they spoke to people at all levels. Uh, he, he gave examples throughout the TED Talk uh, of this. He gave the example of the Constitution, or the Declaration of Independence, rather. He gave the example of Martin Luther King. Um, you know, these are examples where, yes, there is example of stage five in what they say, but there's also examples of other stages. They speak to people where they're at. They don't leave anyone behind. They don't write anyone off and say, you know what, this person at stage one, uh, they're a lost cause. They just, they're just bitter. They just uh, have a horrible outlook on life. We're not even going to worry about them. They don't do that. And rather, they try to build bridges. They try to reach out and expand the network of their tribe to encompass these other tribes and bring everyone along and nudge people towards that top of the mountain experience, uh, towards that transcendence. And I truly believe this is what great leaders can do within their organizations as well. Great leaders can drive uh, this type of potential 
in their people. They can create a healthy culture, a healthy tribe at work. They don't, you don't need to devolve down into petty tactics of us versus them dialogue and divisiveness. And, you know, so much of what we see, for example, in politics nowadays is so polarized. It's, it's, it's not productive and we end up wasting all of our time and energy on things that don't matter. So I really appreciate his insights uh, during this TED Talk. I appreciate you being with me today as I've explored this and really thought through it for myself and how it applies to my life. And I would encourage you to do the same. Think about how some of these elements apply to your life. Think about how uh, you can utilize this uh, knowledge and these insights in order to improve your own leadership capabilities that you can better lead those you encounter in the various walks of life in the different tribes in which you encounter and live. As always, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day, and I hope you have a great week. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.